Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, very first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1. So let me say something up front that's going to offend you greatly, and then we'll move on. I hate Christmas sermons. I do. As a pastor, how do you say something different about the same thing that you've said every year that you've had to say it about the birth of Christ? How do you do it? And the repetition is a good key. But there's that looming. You know what? He said that last year. I got on the website and went back through them all, and I was like, okay, what did I talk about here? I can't talk about that this year. What about the year? But no, I can't do that either. And for a pastor, we don't remember. (laughs) The encouragement in this room is just unbelievable. But it's, it's... it's a difficulty. How do we come to the, to, the, to the new appreciation of the birth of Christ? I mean, what, isn't it odd that we have one day where that's what we recognize when it's something that we should be thankful for 52 weeks out of the year? You know? It's not like this is, well, this is the only time we can appreciate that. No, all the time. Every time. And so how do you deal with it? How do you, how do, you do it? How do you come back to the same topic every year, and come up with something different. I had this elaborate intro all written out. And I went to Emily and I said, what do you think about this, all that? And she's helping me wordsmith some things and how it's going to go. Guess what? You're not going to hear it. (laughs) Because I thought I'm going to get in the same problem here. But this is what I want to preach on. But this is what I want to preach on. And it was amazing because I found I'm hitting a wall, I'm hitting a wall, I'm hitting a wall. So let me tell you what the Lord wants me to preach on today. Matthew 1, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now real quick, why by the Holy Spirit? Because sin is passed from the male to the female in the reproduction of a child. Therefore, by negating that factor, that sin factor, we have the bringing forth of an individual who is 100% God and 100% human, yet sinless throughout. That's the reason why this is. You say, I don't believe that. That's cool. It's what the Scripture teaches. Verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, plan to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Yeshua, it means God saves that's what it means Yahweh saves for he will save his people from their sins now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord 
through the prophet. Here it is. Mark it well because this is our focus. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Then Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, <clears throat> but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Why in the world did Matthew use this verse? I mean, think about what he says there in verse uh, 22. Now, all this took place. The events were arranged as such to where something that was spoken hundreds of years before could be fulfilled now. Now, that alone is an incredible feat in itself. Some of us can't keep our promises until lunch, right? God is keeping them for hundreds of years. And he's going to show that in some way. So all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, through Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. And so I had to ask the question, what all was going on in Isaiah's time for this to suddenly pop up in the Old Testament and need its fulfillment in the New Testament. We're going to go on a fun, fun rabbit trail. Here we go. Turn to the left with me to the book of Isaiah. Anytime you are studying the Bible, context is key. You have to know what's going on around a passage to get a full understanding of the passage. If you just want to grab a verse here and there, 150% of the time, you'll be wrong in how it's applied. That's just the way that it goes. Now, in this time that we pick up on, Isaiah has just received a revelation from the Lord. And he is actually volunteering himself as God's prophet to be sent forward and to represent the Lord faithfully in all the ministry they have. Now, the prophets were not so nice-liked guys. Not that they weren't nice people but they weren't liked nicely back in their time. In fact, the way that Isaiah died was he was put inside of a hollowed out tree and he was cut with a saw from here to there, down the middle. I mean, they didn't have chainsaws back then either, so it was, that seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? So if the Lord wasn't speaking from him, he was a lunatic to die like that and hold fast to God's word. But the prophets were always superior people. Not that they weren't unlike you and me, but the fact that they understood that everything that they had to live for was not here. It was not about these accomplishments here. It wasn't about how well your resume could look here. It was about being in abandonment to everything that God wanted and letting the chips fall where they may. It's the ceasing to care about public opinion because God's word is the only truth that there is. Now, he comes into this scene. His very first interaction that goes on is going to be with the king. Now, let me set the stage for you real quick. During the reign of Solomon, later on in his life, he started marrying all these foreign women. Can we say foreign women today? Can we say that? Okay, so, man, if you guys aren't going to laugh, it's going to be a long sermon, okay? <laughs> he married a lot of foreign women. And the reason why he did that is because he was trying to create political alliances, 
And by doing so, he wasn't trusting God to take care of Israel. Now what happened was, is as he got with all these foreign women, they started bringing in all their foreign gods. All their foreign gods are manifestations of what come from demons. Okay? And so what happened was, is the smartest man who lived at that time, Solomon, was then led astray and he began building all of these altars in all these high places because they believed the higher up you built the altar, the higher up that you were to the gods. And there became a plurality. And Israel was starting to capitulate into unbelief through the leadership of their wise king. What happened then was God said, I'm going to judge you. But because your father David was so faithful, I'm actually not going to bring the judgment on you. I'm going to bring it on your son. And I'm going to take this kingdom of Israel that we've put together, of which I'm manifesting my presence, and I'm going to rip it in half. And there's going to be ten tribes that are going to gravitate towards the north, and two tribes that stay down in the south. And so the upper half, the northern kingdom, is going to be Israel. And the bottom, the southern kingdom, is going to be known as Judah. Now, it didn't take long for the northern kingdom to go off the radar pretty quickly. Uh, they, were, they, were, they got involved in all kinds of pagan worship, tried to substitute how God said to worship, started doing what was right in their own eyes and, and, and worshiping him how they felt it was best to do. Greatest mistake they ever made in their life. They were easily taken out. Southern kingdom of Judah lasted a little bit longer. And so what we're picking up here is with a guy named Ahaz. Ahaz is a king who has come in after a man named Jotham. His dad, Jotham, was a very righteous king. He actually conducted things pretty well in his reign. But one mistake that Jotham made, even though he was declared a righteous king, was he did not take the time to tear down all of the altars that Solomon had built when he went into his apostasy. Well, when Jotham dies and Ahaz becomes the king, Ahaz now begins operating in a different way than his father. We're going to see two accounts of the exact same thing, and then we're going to ask the question, why a baby born of a virgin in a manger? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. And if you're somebody who writes in your Bible, maybe you've got study notes that have this, but if you want to put up there at verse 1, 734 B.C., that's when this takes place. <clears throat> now, it came about in the days of Ahaz, he's the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram. Now, real quick, if you have a different translation, a new King James Version, it'll probably say the king of Syria, okay? King of Syria. If you want to know what Aram is, it's the idea of Syria, where it was located in this time. It says, and Pika, I can't help because my son loves Pokemon. Pikachu, right? That's what I'm thinking of. But Pika, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel. So notice, you've got this king of Syria, and you've got this king of the northern kingdom. And look what it says. They went up to Jerusalem. That's located in the south. The reason why it says it's up, because it's elevated above the plain. And wage war against it, but could not conquer it. Now here's a question. Why did they do this? Why did this northern king, and why did this guy from, from Syria, these kings, get together and try to come against Ahaz and Judah? Here's a reason why. Assyria. Not Syria. Assyria is different from Syria. Was a major threat at that time. Now, I don't know if you remember, we've talked about them. These are the, will come in and decimate everything and put fish hooks through your jaws and lead you back to where we are, and then we skin you alive and use your skin to cover our furniture. That's who they are. Party people, okay? 
dangerous, scary, destructive. The king of Assyria is going to come over and attack and take their land. What do you do when you got a big scary army after you and war is inevitable? You bond together with people who don't want to be captured and you try to put up the best defenses that you can hoping that you will defeat that evil army. So, Syria and Israel decided they're going to get together on this matter. But we need one more. We really need to get Ahaz and Judah on board so we have more forces to fight this guy. Now, real quick, Dave, bring up our map real quick so everybody can see what's going on here. Over here... You've got Israel. Everybody see where Damascus is right there? Can everybody see that? Hold on one second. Right here. Everybody see it? Right there it says A-R-A-M, Aram. Or if you looked at a different map, you might see the idea of Syria. See Syria right here? All encompasses this area. Okay. Now notice Assyria is over here. And they were the biggest major superpower at this time of the splitting of the kingdom. And they eventually came over and they conquered all of this and took everybody back and they were captives and, and dead. Okay. Later on over here, you're going to have Babylon. Here's Babylonia right here. You're going to have Babylon. It's going to rise up and it's going to come over and eventually take out the southern half that's going on. But Syria and the northern kingdom is going to come and wage war with them to try to get Judah on board because Ahaz doesn't want to be on board with them because Assyria is coming. So they're trying to create alliances in this. So what in the world does this have to do with the birth of Christ? Stick with me. Verse 2. When it was reported to the house of David saying, the Arameans, and another word for that is the Syrians, okay? The Arameans have encamped at Ephraim. Now, Ephraim, where that was located, you'd have to see when the tribes of Israel came in and the land was allotted to them. You actually find out that Ephraim is Samaria. So if you're familiar with New Testament, you will know that Israel's broken up into three parts. Galilee in the top, where we have Nazareth. Samaria in the middle, where all the half-breeds were, where the Jews hated them and didn't want anything to do with them, and, 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 and they were a mess. They were garbage, they were junk, they were created to fuel hell, and that's all it was, and that's how the Jews treated them. And then down in the bottom was Judea, and that's how it was set up in that line. Well, this Ephraim section is the Samaria section, so they're right above the southern kingdom. They're moving in their forces together. It says here, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Everybody notice that people love to use fear as a motivator? You know? Anybody notice that that's prevalent in our society today? If I can just motivate you by fear, do what we tell you or else. I'm not going to make a comment. Verse 3. I wanted to. Save me Jesus. Be careful or I will make a comment, but it'll come your direction. <clears throat> then Yahweh, that's what all caps L-O-R-D is, Yahweh, the self-existent one. Then Yahweh said to Isaiah, his prophet, go out now to meet Ahaz. Ahaz is scared. The people are scared. They don't know what to do. Armies are lining up. They don't want to join up with them. You got to ask yourself why here in just a second. We're going to answer that. But go and talk to him. Be the mouthpiece of God. In his predicament. And look what he says here. Very interesting. Mede has you and your son, Sheer Jashub. Anybody here pregnant? Good name. Hold on to it. If you have a marginal note, look what it says. A remnant 
shall return. They didn't bring him along because they thought it'd be a good father and son trip. That's not the reason why. They brought him along because what Isaiah had named his son was actually pertinent to instilling hope in Ahaz of this situation. Why is he scared? He's scared because they're going to get wiped out, right? Because they're going to get murdered. That as the king, if he's captured, he's going to die. So he's fearful for his life. Isaiah, go speak to him what I tell you to speak to him and take your son as a testimony to him that I will always have a remnant of Israel. Always. They are my chosen people. I will always make sure that they are taken care of. Always. All of his promises rest on it. So the son is a testimony. He says, go meet him at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. What's a fuller's field? It's where they did their laundry is essentially where it is. Now watch this and say to him, here's what God wants Ahaz to know. Now think real quick about this because when I show you some things here in a minute, I think you're going to be astounded that God uses this approach. He says, take care and be calm. Have no fear. And do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. Real quick, over the Christmas holiday, if you're looking to really cut somebody down, call them a stub of a smoldering firebrand and see what they come up with. Like, I guess that was nice. I don't know. Right? Notice, on account of the fierce agar of Rezin and Aram, that's Syria, and the son of Ramalia, that's the king of Israel. Because Aram, Syria, with Ephraim, so remember, that's the area right above the southern kingdom, and the son of Ramallah has planned evil against you. And here's what they're planning on doing. Look what it says here in verse 6. Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Now, why would they do that? Because they want a yes man. Let's get rid of this Ahaz who's not going along with us. Let's get in there, break open their wall, take over, overthrow and kill their king, and set up a guy who's going to go along with everything that we want him to, or otherwise we'll do the same thing to him. Let's find a gullible soul to stick on the throne. So, moving forward here. Verse 7. Thus says, does everybody see the change in language? Capital L, lowercase o-r-d. It's the word Adonai. And it's the word that means master. Okay? Now we're taking on a different form of bringing out the name of gods. Now here's what's interesting. When you take all caps G-O-D next to capital L, lowercase o-r-d, you have Adonai Yahweh, the master, the self-existent one. He's getting ready to make a huge claim here. Look what he says. Thus says Adonai Yahweh, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. Now this is a huge promise. You don't need to fear about being overcome, killed, and wiped out. I'm going to make sure to take both of these groups out for you. That's the promise of God to him. Now, if God makes you a promise, does that bring you some assurance? Will that hopefully calm your heart? 
We'd like to think so. Right now our lives aren't being threatened. But we would like to think that if God has made us a promise, we would be able to hold on to that and say regardless of what happens. God's word is always sure all the time. In fact, interesting thing for those of you that are Bible nerds that want to write something like this down. Rezin ends up being killed in 732 B.C. This takes place in 734. Within two years, King Rezin is killed. After that, Ephraim, that section above that becomes Syria, is actually captured in two phases, once in 722 B.C. and again in 669 B.C. Here's what's interesting. If you take 734 B.C. and you subtract 669 B.C., you get exactly 65 years. So God is letting them know to the day, I am going to take care of this issue. It is not going to be a problem. Don't fear. Trust. Now watch what happens because look what he says. Verse 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. That's Pikachu, right? Notice what it says here. And if you will not believe, here's the warning at the end of what the prophet has to say. If you will not believe, you shall, surely shall not last. What's the call? What is Isaiah calling King Ahaz to do? Believe. Very simple, right? Believe that the Lord will rescue you out of this very trying, intense situation where your earthly life is absolutely threatened. Do you trust him to do what he said he would do? Now, we move into a section we're a little bit more familiar with. Watch what comes out of this. Then Yahweh spoke again to Ahaz, saying, now remember, any time that a prophet would speak, God is speaking through that prophet. That's how their words were. He says, verse 11, watch this, Ask a sign for yourself from Yahweh your Elohim, from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol, that's as as deep as the underworld, as deep as the grave, as deep as hell is, essentially is what he's saying. He says here, or as high as heaven. Now here's what he's saying. What, has this got something to do with verticals? No, it doesn't. What he's saying is, is make this request as grandiose as you want to. Because I'm going to fulfill it before your eyes so that you know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to take care of you and uphold my word. Now think about what God is asking here. He's going to save Ahaz's life. He's going to preserve his people. He even sent a kid with a weird name in order to prove it. And he tells them, none of these people are going to stand. I'm going to take them all out. And I'm going to protect these people. And if you don't believe me, ask for a sign. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, ask for it. Now, look at Ahaz's response. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Okay? Did he make a good decision or a bad decision? You might know. Bad. Bad. Why? Let's see what happens here. Then he said, listen now, and he is Isaiah. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? In other words, you're wearing God out because you won't do what he says. He said, ask a sign. And you're not asking. God wants to go to amazing lengths that you can comprehend by coming up with the sign in order to prove to you that his word is sure and that he will take care of you. Ask a sign. Well, I don't want to test the Lord. I'm just, you know, falsely pious in my own right. 
We're told in the Bible, don't test the Lord. If God tells you to do something, should you do it? Kind of seems like Jesus 101 there, doesn't it? Okay? Now pause because we all know the next verse, don't we? We all know verse 14. Stop there. Stop. Don't read it. I saw some of you looking down. Quit. Okay? And now, turn to 2 Kings 16. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it has the ability to give us a perspective of a situation and then can turn around and somewhere else and give us more of the story that we might be missing. 2 Kings 16. Chapter 16, verse 1. Look at it. 2 Kings 16, 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, remember he's the king of the northern part? Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, that's the southern part, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became became king. And, watch this, he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he, here it is, guys, Here's what's going on behind the scenes that we don't see in Isaiah 7. He did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh, his Elohim, as his father David had done. Why does that bring, why does he bring that up that way? Because David was considered a man after God's own heart. Because as a king, if you were going to rule, you wanted to rule like David. You wanted to love God like David. You wanted your affections to be wrapped up in David. Now, I know what everybody does. The pessimist in the room. Didn't he do something bad with a woman at some point? Yes, he sinned. Welcome to the world. He did. But I tell you what, when he was called to task for his sin, he wept and he called out to the Lord not to forsake him. It was beautiful. He came to terms with his wrongdoing. God wasn't calling him to be perfect. But even in the midst of his sin, reaching out to God, knowing that forgiveness was freely available, it's how he handled his sin that made him affectionately more in God's sight. So if you want to talk about how somebody should rule in this nation, David is a good prototype to bring out. Now look what it says here, verse 3. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now we might say, okay, he is a king of Israel. Why is that weird? Because when it says Israel, it's talking about divided kingdom. It's the kings of the north. Now, what in the world did the kings of the north do it so bad? And even made his son pass through the fire. Anybody know what that means? Child sacrifice. In fact, if you research Ahaz throughout the rest of the Bible, you will find out that he had his own little idol-making facility going on, and he actually worshipped Baal Molech. Now, Baal, being a false sexual fertility god that everybody was enslaved with back in this time, but Molech had this imagery or this picture of this massive owl and sometimes had hands out like this of which they would heat the hands up of iron till they were red red hot and then they would place their infant children on there to burn to death and then they would loudly speak in tongues so that they couldn't hear the cries and screams of their kids. Aren't you glad you came to church for Christmas service today? Now, why are we talking about this? Because this is how intensely evil this man was. He's got gross immorality. He has got religious defects. He has got choice making that would... I'm not going to say that. 
It's bad. When you are existing in a realm where you feel like your culture needs to be characterized by killing children in order for religious deities to bless you with favor, you are deluded and deceived and warped. Ahaz was messed up. Now look what happens here. Made him pass through the fire according to the abominations of those nations. In other words, he was doing what pagans do. Whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and he burned incense on the high places and on the hills and every green tree. The places that were left by Solomon. He decided to use them all to worship false gods instead of the one true God. It says here, then Rezin, king of Aram, remember that's Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, they came to Jerusalem to wage war, and they besieged Ahim, but they could not overcome him. And at that time, Rezin, king of Aram, that is Syria, recovered Elath for Aram and cleared the Judeans out. In other words, what in the world is going on there? What it was was down at the bottom of that map. Can we bring up the map again, Dave? Bring up the map, map man. Thank you. Down here at the bottom. This area right here is known as the Gulf of Aquaba. And over here is a place called Ezion Geber. Right at the top of that little peak there was a place called Elath. And what had happened during the reigns of the southern kingdom is that Judah had come in and they had actually conquered that area of land down there. And so there were Jewish people that lived there. So what you have is you have this king coming in, wiping out all the Jews who had taken up residence there. And instead, they were going to set up their own people, the Arameans, in order to be there. Or some of your translations will say the Edomites. And if you know about that area, you know that the Edomites have dominated that side right there to the right. In fact, between the Gulf of Aquaba and this right up here, being uh, the Dead Sea, you have this word there, Edom, E-D-O-M. So that's where they came in, conquered, and occupied in that part of the land. Now, back to this, just so you know what's going on here. Verse 7. Here's the great problem. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of where? Assyria. Now, Tiglath-Pileser, regardless if we like his name or not, good guy or bad guy? Not just bad guy, dangerous guy, okay? He, 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 is, he is the bad of the bad. He decides that he is going to send a messenger there because those two kings, king of Syria and king of Israel, have gathered together and they're getting ready to wage war. Remember, they're right above them. They got scared. Isaiah comes with a comforting message about the Lord's promise, not failing. Don't fear. Trust him. He's going to take them out. Okay, cool. And then he makes a grand mistake that we've all made before. What other options are there besides what God has said? Here's what, well, we would like to think that, but notice what he does. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Does anybody know how horrible of a state of mind you have to be in in relation to the God of Israel in order to turn around and say, Assyria, I'm your slave and your kin? What is he doing there? He's pledging allegiance to the king of Assyria. Now watch what happens here. I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. So Ahaz took the silver and gold, uh uh-oh, that was found in the house of Yahweh. Where's the treasury in God's temple? I know. Let's send that to this king. 
I mean, we've already pledged to him the fact that we're his slave. We've already pledged to him the fact that we're his son. So why not go ahead and take the riches that were in God's house that were for his worship and for his glory and let's load them all up on a donkey cart and just send them on up there so we get taken care of. How about this? And in the treasuries of the king's house, not just God's money, Ahaz's money. Let's put it all together so we can pay off this king to help us. It says here, and in the treasuries of the king's house, he sent to present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to Kir. That is the fish hook in the mouth, lead them away, skin them and clothe your furniture part. And he put resin to death. Good decision, bad decision. Incredibly bad decision. You say, what does this have to do with Jesus in the manger? Turn back to Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a what? I want everybody to say it loud. He will give you a what? Think about this real quick. The Lord is going to show you. Since you failed to obey me in asking for an incredible, extraordinary, miraculous sign, I will give you my sign. I'm going to let you know without a shadow of a doubt how you can trust every promise that I've ever made. That there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to run in other directions. There's no reason to try to go at great personal expense in order to try to preserve and protect yourself. All of that are ways that we try to scrape to save face. To make our own way. That we're going to do it our way. Poor Frank Sinatra. What is he seeing now? He did it his way. Good googly. Who knows? I'm going to give you a sign. Look what it says here. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son and she will call his name God with us now think about what the promise is there's a woman who has never had any sexual relationships whatsoever that is actually going to become pregnant and bring forward a child and that child is going to be God himself 100% human born of a person 100% God conceived as a means other than natural fleshly conception. Now you say, why does this matter with what Matthew's saying? What is your life like compared to King Ahaz? And immediately we're all going, pretty good, yeah! My kids are still here. I haven't done that to them. I didn't go out and try to find other ways besides God's word in order to help me in this situation, or did we at some point? 
Have we ever been where we saw that money was going to be the answer? To get us out of the predicament. That here's an interesting thing. I don't know that Ahaz caused it necessarily, but it came upon him and he had to have a solution. When's the last time that we let fear motivate us into disobedience? Because I'm scared, I'll choose the sin solution rather than the faith solution. And let's be honest why we do that. Because I can control the sin solution. But I don't trust the Almighty God who created heavens and earth by speaking it into existence. Who orchestrates all of time and history to bring events about. Who has set down and provided the salvation of the world. Through one person. There's no way that he could help me in my situation because it's totally unique and nobody's ever gone through this. And therefore, I've got to figure out a way to do this. And good grief, we panic. We would panic ourselves into hell if we could. What has God done? I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to let you know without a shadow of a doubt you don't need to fear. You don't need to operate in a way that is full of frightfulness. And think about what we have. Anybody number how many Christmas songs we have about Jesus? How many lawns just in Portage have a nativity out on the front of it? How many times do we get together to sing songs about that? Radio stations are playing it. People who live like godless pagans are singing about the birth of the Savior. This little event that happened in a small, insignificant town in the Middle East is something that has been preached all over the world. And what is it saying? It's God telling people this is a sign. You can trust me. Well, that's cool and all, and I really like the melody of that song, but let's create a fat man in a red suit with a big gnarly beard in order to cover up Jesus. I know how we'll get the kids. He'll bring toys. Better yet, let's change it a different way. Let's use one of his servants. Anybody ever done research on St. Nicholas and what he did for kids? Do it sometime. Check it out. But let's do whatever we can to manifest a fantasy land in order to overshadow the real thing that God wants to say. And that is, I hold the salvation of mankind in my palm. And I can rescue you. Let's stop and answer one big question about this. If Ahaz was such a horrible person, why did God ever send a prophet to speak comfort to him? Shouldn't God have said, Ahaz, you scoundrel such and such, no good for nothing, and begin judgment, condemnation. Makes me the Lord, should we call down fire on this guy? He's obviously worthy to burn. It's real easy for us to compare ourselves to Ahaz because he's worse than we are. But don't you think the fact that he wanted to reiterate his truth to someone who since they got in power had done nothing but generate evil from the throne to lead an entire group of people into pagan, idolatrous 
godless worship. That he wants to send a prophet to speak comfort to a person whose life of their own making is in that condition. Here's what that tells me. There's not a single person that is too far gone that God does not want to speak that same peace that comes about through the sign of His Son on behalf of all people. What it tells me is is that there's no boundary that somebody's out of. Nobody's out of bounds for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this not a worldwide message? Do Do we get that? The birth of the Savior is a worldwide message. So many people wander around making excuses so that they can sin and wanting to do other things so that, well, nobody ever told me. Well, you know, I just go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. And we've got all these grand excuses that people have made as to why they don't want to have an interaction when the real situation comes down to who is Jesus? Why is He here? What has He done for you? He is a sign sent from God that tells you, in generalities at least, you can trust my love for you. Oh, if Ahaz's life would have responded to that, if he would have said, the Lord has made promises, the Lord's never failed, everything that's ever come out of his mouth happens just the way he says. And it's not only that I have no need to fear, but I can trust him in the sign that he has given me. How his life would have been different. But the scary thing is, is no matter how much or from what avenue or direction that the truth faced him, he still said, no. My hope, my rescue is going to be found in a bigger nation with more people and more money. And I'm just going to buy my way out of this. What does that look like with the gospel today? I mean, isn't that the reason why Jesus came? Save people from their sins. So Jesus, never doing anything wrong, dies a criminal's death on a cross, nailed to where he is bleeding. Just to get a breath, he's pulling himself up on the nails to try to get oxygen. Why in the world would somebody do that? If you want the quick answer, it's because God loves people. And God knows we're evil. And God knows that there's nothing redeemable in us. And God knows that there's nothing that we could ever do to accomplish salvation. Psalm 103 tells us He knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. See, here's the interesting thing. He doesn't just come in with a hard-fisted throne of judgment on the situation. He comes in as a loving Father calling for people. Come to me. Believe me. Stop living life for yourself. Stop doing your own thing. It's never worked. Well, I'm pretty happy this way. No, you're not. And you're a terrible liar. Give it up. And look at the sign that God gave. The sign of His Son. Where He orchestrated all history to come around it. Where He's even got stars leading people. You talk about GPS, good gravy. Where he's got kings that are showing up and putting precious objects before him to worship him. They were so poor they couldn't even give a decent sacrifice on behalf of Jesus. They had to give the low income sacrifice. 
Stop looking for the flash. Stop looking for the explosions and the surprises. Stop looking for how we can be made the most of in every situation. Christmas is not about us. Life is not about us. And regardless, if we want to set up walls of sin and thinking that we've got this impressive man cave of debauchery that we put around us, it's not about us. It's about a sign that has been sent to rescue us from us. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the sign of the Savior, of Your Son, of Your own personal expense put forward. Because we do treat people poorly. We do lie. We do scheme our own way. We do fund our own sin. We do worship at the altar of other gods. Apart from you, we are unredeemable. There is no amount of good works that we could ever muster and bring together. But that is what magnifies the grace of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. How incredible it is that no matter how deep in sin Ahaz was, you still spoke rescue and salvation to him. You still spoke kindness. You still extended your hand and invited him to trust you. And you even gave him a sign to put a seal on all of it. God, how much understanding we have today I pray, Lord, if, if it's coming to our minds and hearts about family members that don't know You, how that could be such a burden and how we need to, to, to deliver that to Your feet and be Your willing and obedient vessels to preach to them the message of eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. Father, how desperately we need that salvation in this time when people are all gathered together, it is prime opportunity to talk about the cross of our Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to die for us. Thank you that you're gracious beyond my understanding. Thank you that you love when I think you should judge. Thank you that you desire healing when I think it should be hurt. That it's so far beyond how any of us would ever treat other people. You are a gracious an awesome God that is full of mercy and loving kindness. Thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you showed us that in your son. It's in his name. Amen.